0: Chapter Three, Part Two A Famous American Statesman by Sarah Knowles Bolton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thomas Jefferson, Part Two. In June, seventeen seventy nine, Jefferson was made governor of Virginia to succeed Patrick Henry, her first governor. The Revolutionary War had been going forward with some victories and some defeats. Virginia had given generously of men, money, and provisions. The war was being transferred to the south as its battleground. British fleets had laid waste the Atlantic coast. Benedict Arnold and Cornwallis had ravaged Virginia. When General Tarleton was ordered to Charlottesville in 1781, and it seemed probable that Monticello would fall into his hands, Jefferson moved his family to a place of safety. When the British arrived and found that the governor was not to be captured, they retired without committing the slightest injury to the place. This was in return for kindness shown by Jefferson to four thousand English prisoners, who had been sent from near New York, to be in camp at Charlottesville, where it seemed cheaper to provide for them. Jefferson rightly said, it is for the benefit of mankind to mitigate the horrors of war as much as possible. The practice, therefore, of modern nations, of treating captive enemies with politeness and generosity, is not only delightful in contemplation, but really interesting to all the world friends foes and neutrals two faithful servants at monticello fearful that the silver might be stolen by the redcoats concealed it under a floor a few feet from the ground caesar removing a plank and slipping through the cavity received it from the hands of martin the soldiers came just as the last piece was handed to caesar the plank was immediately restored to its place and for nearly three days and nights the poor colored man remained in the dark without food guarding his master's treasures when a soldier put his gun to the breast of martin and threatened to fire unless jefferson's whereabouts was disclosed the brave fellow answered fire away then a man or woman who wins and holds such loyalty from dependence is no ordinary character after holding the office of governor for two years jefferson resigned feeling that a military man would give greater satisfaction such a one followed him but with no better success among the half despairing patriots destitute of money and supplies Jefferson, with his sensitive spirit, felt keenly the criticisms of some of the people, saying, They have inflicted a wound on my spirit, which will only be cured by the all-healing grave. He refused to return to public life, and looked forward to happy years of quiet study at Monticello. How little we know the way which lies before us! We long for sunlight, and perchance have only storms. We love to be as children who must be carried over the swamps and rough places, not knowing that strength of manhood and womanhood comes generally through struggling. The happy years at Monticello were already numbered. Another little girl had come to gladden the heart of the man who so loved children and had quickly taken her departure. And now Martha Jefferson, at thirty-four, the sweet, gentlewoman who had lived with him only ten short years, was also going away. She talked with him calmly about the journey she said she could not die content if she thought their children would have a stepmother. The young governor, without a moment's thought as to his future happiness, taking her hand, solemnly promised that he would never marry again, and he kept his word. It is not known that any person ever entered the place left vacant in his heart by Martha Jefferson's death. For four months he had watched by her bedside, and had his book so near her that he could work without being separated from her. When she died, he fainted, and remained so long insensible that the attendants thought he could never be restored to consciousness for 3 weeks he kept his room ministered to by his little daughter martha who wound her arms about his neck with that inexpressible consolation that only a pure sweet child nature can give she said years later i was never a moment from his side he walked almost incessantly night and day only lying down occasionally when nature was completely exhausted When at last he left his room, he rode out, and from that time he was on horseback, rambling about the mountain, in the least frequented roads, and just as often through the woods. In those melancholy rambles I was his constant companion, a solitary witness to many a burst of grief. He longed now for a change of scene. Monticello was no more a place of peace and rest. Being elected to Congress, he took his seat in November, 1783. To him we owe, after much heated discussion, the adoption of the present system of dollars and cents instead of pounds and shillings. In May 1784 he was appointed minister to France to join Dr. Franklin and John Adams in negotiating commercial treaties. He sailed in July, taking with him his eldest daughter, Martha, leaving Mary and an infant daughter with an aunt. The educated governor and congressman, of course, found a cordial welcome in Parisian society. For was he not the author of the Declaration of Independence, endeared to all lovers of liberty, in whatever country? He was charmed with French courtesy, thrift, and neatness, but he was always an American in sentiment and affection. He wrote to his young friend, James Monroe, afterwards President, The pleasure of the trip to Europe will be less than you expect, but the utility greater. It will make you adore your own country, its soil, its climate, its equality, liberty, laws, people, and manners how little do my countrymen know what precious blessings they are in possession of, and which no other people on earth enjoy. More and more he loved and believed in a republic. He wrote to a friend, if all the evils which can arise among us from the republican form of government, from this day to the day of judgment, could be put into scale against what this country suffers from its monarchical form in a week, or England in a month, the latter would preponderate. No race of kings has ever presented above one man of common sense in twenty generations. The best they can do is to leave things to their ministers, and what are their ministers but a committee badly chosen? Jefferson spent much time in looking up the manufacturing and agricultural interests of the country, and kept four colleges—Harvard, Yale, William & Mary, and the College of Philadelphia—advised of new inventions, new books, and new phrases of the approaching revolution. He had placed his daughter Martha in a leading school. His letters to her, in the midst of his busy life, show the beautiful spirit of the man, who was too great ever to rise above his affectional nature. "'The more you learn, the more I love you,' he wrote her, "'and I rest the happiness of my life on seeing you beloved by all the world, which you will be sure to be, if to a good heart you join those accomplishments so peculiarly pleasing in your sex. Adieu, my dear child. Lose no moment in improving your head, nor any opportunity of exercising your heart in benevolence. His baby girl, Lucy, died two years after her mother, and now only little Mary was left in America. He could not rest until this child was with him in France. She came with a breaking heart on leaving the old Virginia home and her aunt. On board the vessel, she became so attached to the captain that it was almost impossible to take her from him she spent some weeks with mrs john adams in london who wrote a finer child i never saw i grew so fond of her that she was so much attached to me that when mr jefferson sent for her they were obliged to force the little creature away once in paris the affectionate child was placed at school with her sister martha to whom jefferson wrote she will become a precious charge upon your hands teacher above all things to be good BECAUSE WITHOUT THAT WE CAN NEITHER BE VALUED BY OTHERS NOR SET ANY VALUE ON OURSELVES. TEACH HER TO BE ALWAYS TRUE. NO VICE IS SO MEAN AS THE WANT OF TRUTH, AND AT THE SAME TIME SO USELESS. TEACH HER NEVER TO BE ANGRY. ANGER ONLY SERVES TO TORMENT OTHERS, TO DIVERT OTHERS, AND TO ALIENATE THEIR ESTEEM. THE LOVE OF TRUTH WAS A STRONG CHARACTERISTIC OF JEFFERSON'S NATURE, ONE OF THE MOST BEAUTIFUL CHARACTERISTICS OF ANY LIFE. There is no other foundation stone so strong and enduring on which to build a granite character as the granite rock of truth. Jefferson wrote to his children and nephews, If you ever find yourself in any difficulty, and doubt how to extricate yourself, do what is right, and you will find it the easiest way of getting out of the difficulty. Give up money, give up fame, give up science, give the earth itself, and all it contains, rather than do an immoral act. And never suppose that, in any possible situation or any circumstances it is best for you to do a dishonorable thing again he wrote determine never to be idle no person will have occasion to complain of the want of time who never loses any it is wonderful how much may be done if we are always doing after five years spent in france most of which time he was minister plenipotentiary dr franklin having returned home and john adams having gone to england Jefferson set sail for America, with his two beloved children, Martha, seventeen, and Mary, eleven. He had done his work well, and been honored for his wisdom and his peace-loving nature. Daniel Webster said of him, No court in Europe had at that time a representative in Paris commanding or enjoying higher regard for political knowledge or for general attainments than the minister of this then infant republic. Even before Jefferson reached home, he had been appointed Secretary of State by President Washington. He accepted with a sense of dread, and his subsequent difficulties with Alexander Hamilton, Secretary of the Treasury, realized his worst fears. The one believed in centralization of power, a stronger national government. The other believed in a pure democracy, the will of the people, with the least possible governing power. The two men were opposite in character, opposite in financial plans, opposite in views of national polity. Jefferson took sides with the French, and Hamilton with the English in the French Revolution. The press grew bitter over these differences, and the noble heart of George Washington was troubled. Finally, Jefferson resigned and retired to Monticello. I returned to farming, he said, with an ardor which I scarcely knew in my youth. Three years later, he was again called into public life. As Washington declined a re-election, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson became the two presidential candidates. The one receiving the most votes of the electors became president and the second on the list vice president john adams received three more votes than jefferson and was made president on march 4th 1797 jefferson as vice president became the leader of the senate delivering a short but able address much of the next four years he spent at monticello watching closely the progress of events matters with the french republic grew more complicated she demanded an alliance with the United States against England, which was refused, and war became imminent. At the last moment, John Adams rose above the tempest of the hour, went quite halfway in bringing about a reconciliation, and the country was saved from a useless and disastrous war. The Federalists had passed some unwise measures, such as the Alien Law, whereby the President was authorized to send foreigners out of the country, and the Sedition Law, which punished with fine and imprisonment freedom of speech and of the press. Therefore, at the next presidential election, when Adams and Jefferson were again candidates, the latter was made President of the United States, the Federalists having lost their power, and the Republicans, afterwards called Democrats, having gained the ascendancy. The contest had been bitter. Jefferson's religious belief had been strongly assailed. Through it all he had the common sense to know that the cool-headed, good-natured man who has only words of kindness, and who rarely or never makes an enemy, is the man who wins in the end. He controlled himself, and therefore his party, in a manner almost unexampled. March fourth, eighteen 1801, at the age of fifty-eight, in a plain suit of clothes, the great leader of democracy rode to the capital, hitched his horse to the fence, entered the Senate chamber, and delivered his inaugural address. Thus simple was the man who wished ever to be known as the friend of the people. Alas, that sweet martha jefferson could not have lived to see this glad day to what a proud height had come the hard-working college boy and the tender-hearted tolerant man as president he was the idol of his party and in the main a wise leader he made few removals from office chiefly those appointed by john adams just as he was leaving the presidency jefferson said removals must be as few as possible done gradually and bottomed on some malversation or inherent disqualification One of the chief acts was the purchase from France of a great tract of land, called the Territory of Louisiana, for $15 million. During his second four years in office, there were more perplexities. Aaron Burr, vice-president during Jefferson's first term, was tried on the charge of raising an army to place himself on the throne of Mexico or at the head of a southwestern confederacy. England, usually at war with France, had issued orders prohibiting all trade with that country and her allies. Napoleon had retorted by a like measure. Both nations claimed the right to take seamen out of United States vessels. Their British frigate Leopard took four seamen by force from the American frigate Chesapeake. The nation seemed on the verge of war, but it was postponed only to come later in 1812 under James Madison. Congress passed the Embargo Act. By which all american vessels were detained in their own ports it had strong advocates and strong opponents but was repealed as soon as jefferson retired from office owing to these measures our commerce was well nigh destroyed at the age of sixty-five years jefferson retired to monticello with a reputation and popularity says mr morse hardly inferior to that of washington he had had the wisdom never to assume the bearing of a leader he had been careful to avoid disputes once when riding he met a stranger with whom engaging in conversation he found him bitterly opposed to the president upon asking if he knew mr jefferson personally he replied no nor do i wish to but do you think it fair to repeat such stories about a man and condemn one who you do not dare to face i shall never shrink from meeting him if he ever comes in my way will you then go to his house to-morrow and be introduced to him if i promise to meet you there yes i will The stranger came, to his astonishment, found that the man he had talked with was the President himself, dined with him, and became his firm friend and supporter ever afterward. For the next seventeen years, Jefferson lived at Monticello, honored and visited by celebrities from all over the world. Sometimes as many as fifty persons stayed at his home overnight. One family of six came from abroad and remained with him for ten months. His daughter Martha, married to Thomas Mann Randolph, presided over his hospitable home and with her eleven children made the place a delight for she had the jefferson temperament all music and sunshine the beautiful mary who married her cousin john w epps had died at twenty-six leaving two small children who like all the rest found a home with jefferson in the midst of this loving company the great man led a busy life carrying on an immense correspondence by means of which he exerted a commanding influence on the questions of the day as well as on all social matters to a child named for him he wrote a letter which the boy might read after the statesman's death in it are these helpful words adore god reverence and cherish your parents love your neighbor as yourself be just be true murmur not at the ways of providence to his daughter mary he wrote these lines which well might be hung up in every household Harmony in the married state is the very first object to be aimed at. Nothing can preserve affections uninterrupted but a firm resolution never to differ in will and a determination in each to consider the love of the other as of more value than any object whatever on which a wish had been fixed. How light, in fact, is the sacrifice of any other wish when weighed against the affections of one with whom we are to pass our whole life! And though opposition in a single instance will hardly of itself produce alienation, yet one has his pouch into which all these little oppositions are put while that is filling the alienation is insensibly going on, and when filled it is complete. It would puzzle either to say why because no one difference of opinion has been marked enough to produce a serious effect by itself, but he finds his affections wearied out by a constant stream of little checks and obstacles other sources of discontent very common indeed are the little cross purposes of husband and wife in common conversation a disposition in either to criticize and question whatever the other says a desire always to demonstrate and make him feel himself in the wrong and especially in company nothing is so goading much better therefore if our companion views a thing in a light different from what we do to leave him in quiet possession of his view What is the use of rectifying him, if the thing be unimportant, and, if important, let it pass for the present, and wait a softer moment, and more conciliatory occasion, of revising the subject together? It is wonderful how many persons are rendered unhappy by inattention to these little rules of prudence. Jefferson rose early. The sun, he said, had not for fifty years caught him in bed, but he bore great heart sorrow in these declining years, and bore it bravely. His estate had diminished in value, and he had lost heavily by endorsements for others. His household expenses were necessarily great. Finally, debts pressed so heavily that he sold to Congress the dearly prized library, which he had been gathering for fifty years. He received nearly twenty-four thousand dollars for it, about half its original value, but this amount brought only temporary relief. Then he attempted to dispose of some of his land by lottery, as was somewhat the fashion of the times. The legislature reluctantly gave permission, but as soon as his friends in New York, Philadelphia, and Baltimore heard of his pecuniary condition, they raised about $18,000 for him, and the lottery plan was abandoned. He was touched by this proof of esteem, and said, No cent of this is wrung from the taxpayer. It is the pure and unsolicited offering of love. Jefferson was now, as he said, like an old watch, with a pinion worn out here and a wheel there until it can go no longer on july 3rd 1826 after a brief illness he seemed near the end he desired to live till the next day and frequently asked if it were the fourth he lingered till forty minutes past the noon of july 4th and then slept in death that same day john adams at ninety-one was dying at quincy massachusetts his last words were as he went out at sunset the booming of cannon sounding pleasant to his patriotic heart thomas jefferson still lives He did not know that his great co-laborer had gone home at midday. The two aged men, says T. W. Higginson, floated on like two ships becalmed at nightfall that drift together into port and cast anchor side by side. Beautiful words. The death of two presidents at this memorable time has given an additional sacredness to our National Independence Day. Among Jefferson's papers were found, carefully laid away, some of my dear dear wife's handwriting and locks of hair of herself and children also a sketch of the granite stone he desired for his monument with these words to be inscribed upon it here was buried thomas jefferson author of the declaration of independence of the statute of virginia for religious freedom and father of the university of virginia he was buried by his family and servants on the spot selected by himself and dabney carr in boyhood his wife on one side and his loving mary on the other the beloved monticello passed into other hands martha jefferson and her children would have been left penniless had not the legislatures of south carolina and louisiana each voted her ten thousand dollars thomas jefferson randolph the grandson with the assistance of his daughters who established a noted school paid all the remaining debts many thousand dollars to save the honor of their famous ancestor to the last Jefferson kept his sublime faith in human nature and in the internal justice of Republican principles, saying, It is my conviction that should things go wrong at any time, the people will set them to rights by the peaceable exercise of their elective rights. Whatever his religious belief in its details of creed, he said, I am a Christian in the only sense in which Jesus wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrines in preference to all others he compiled a little book of the words of christ saying a more precious morsel of ethics was never seen in his public life he was honest in his domestic life lovable and he died as he had lived tolerant of the opinions of others even tempered believing in the grandeur and beauty of human nature what though we occasionally trust too much far better that than to go through life doubting and murmuring that he believed too broadly in states rights for the perpetuity of the union our late civil war plainly showed and his views on free trade are of course shared by a portion only of our citizens however he gave grandly of the affection of his heart and the power of his intellect and he received as he deserved the love and honor of thousands the world over chapter three